Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, um, our goal of every week, every new episode, Sundays at 9 a.m., is to make it sound like you're sitting with a couple friends, having some coffee, and somebody just happened to have researched like five to six hours of some horrific thing that they heard about on the news. So uh, it sounds like we're doing that based on some of the reviews that I'm reading. So thank you for leaving those reviews and those five stars. They you know help other people see, hey, these guys are worth checking out. So thanks for doing that. And if you really, really love what we're doing, then uh, go check out our Patreon page. You can go see the show notes or like if you're on our Instagram following us, you can look at their link tree over there and it'll bring you over to the Patreon. Patreon page, you can, you know, support us with a little bit of extra scratch this holiday season and, um, you know, help Allison get to her goal of uh, doing this full time. Yeah. And there's, I think, um, close to 40 episodes available bonus wise. Yeah, we're right so there. If you're running out of content and looking for more, there's your place to go. So we appreciate you guys so much. I just always never, I don't ever want to forget saying that because it's really true that we do. I don't always want to never forget that either. <laughs> I so. know. It's like, what the heck? <laughs> what is wrong with me today? So how are you, Mike? I'm good. I just got back from Texas for some uh, corporate training and uh, man alive. That Texas barbecue is the real deal. It was fantastic. I went with um, a coworker that I just met and he happens to know his smoked meats very well. And uh, I had myself some brisket at uh, Hutchins Barbecue in Allen, Texas. So I had some some brisket. We had the regular or lean. I don't know what it's called. It's And then we had the moist. I was like, what do you mean <laughs> Please moist? Please don't say that word. <laughs> moist. <laughs> Everybody loves moist. <laughs> and uh, brisket's no different. So it's gotten like a nice layer of the fat in the middle like extra fat like brisket's pretty fatty as it is yeah but the moist stuff is like from the ends or something they cut it fresh in front of you and it's like cafeteria style you kind of tell them what you want and they cut it in front of you or deli style i'd say and then they put it on your plate i had like smoked turkey i had these things called texas twinkies which are not real twinkies they are well i guess they are they're they're texas style twinkies where you take a huge jalapeno uh, stuff it with cream cheese and brisket or whatever stuffing of your choice, I guess. But this one was brisket and wrapped in bacon. And I believe they're smoked. Yeah, probably smoked. Um, they look maybe a little fried too, maybe flash fried. So probably not the healthiest of choices. I so it's say. like a souped up jalapeno popper. Yeah. And uh, man alive, that thing was amazing. And then like while we're ordering our stuff and getting our sides, which the sides were awesome too. Uh, they're like, hey, you guys want any dessert? We're like, oh, oh. no, that's, that's crazy. Oh. Yeah. And they're like, well, it's free over there by the hog <laughs> trough. Well, like, all right then. Okay, well, what'll it hurt to give me a little bit of peach cobbler? Right? <laughs> Absolutely, you know, a little banana pudding or something. I mean, it hits a spot. Did so. you have your cardiologist on standby? Oh, I should have. I I think my heart's like definitely saying, "I'm sorry," or "Yeah, I'm sorry for being in your body," but I want out. <laughs> the like, abuse had sustained. Going to shut the system down here, and it's not going to be good. And I think you said you gained five pounds while you were gone. Yeah, yeah, um, I did, and it was not good. So there's a lot <laughs> it was of not good. sodium in me, a lot of fat. <laughs> So just if you see me out and out and about, you just look leave a little puffy, swollen, maybe like a sausage yourself. Yeah, yeah, I've, that's exactly why. So thanks <laughs> Texas Barbecue. Oh, and I got to check out Bucky's, which oh, is yes, Bucky's. a huge Texas staple, um, <clears throat> like a landmark gas station. They're cool because they're they don't allow eighteen wheeler trucks at all, but they're like the, the pretty much the Walmart. I mean, uh, it, it's kind of the size of a Walmart, like a half Walmart, but it's a gas station. They have like food, clothes, like a uh, shop. It's because yeah. we went to the one in Florida, in northern Florida, 
And it was it was so clean and the staff was so nice. By that time, I was so delirious. I think I had driven like 14 hours or something. So I may have been hallucinating in there, but it was really cute. But I called you on Friday. I was coming home from work and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm at Bucky's. Oh, my gosh. And they have sweatshirts and they have sweatpants and they have this. And they have, I'm like, wow, sir, you need to like get yourself out of there. I'm like, we are going to go broke with you in the store. Could you tell that I was just like happy? Oh, totally. You sent me a selfie of you and Bucky. <laughs> they um, had like a dressed up Bucky there. So I got a selfie. And then I'm wearing the Bucky sweatpants right now. And they are so comfortable. So it was it was nice. Maybe, was I'll, cute. maybe I'll share the uh, the Bucky selfie on Instagram. Uh, yeah, it's cute, though. Yeah. So it you was, should share it. Uh, it was it was amazing. They have like a whole section for like sliced meats. It's like a grocery store slash convenience store. It's amazing. Drinks everywhere. Candy that they make themselves like. Oh, oh, fudge, I think. I think there's a fudge area. Desserts. Yeah, you, you brought home all sorts of candies. Yeah, hot sauces. Uh, jerkies. They're well known for their jerkies. About 17 different flavors of jerkies. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and we are not being paid by Bucky's. No. They don't sponsor us. So. I don't think they pay anybody. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just awesome. So, I got the kids a bunch of clothes and stuff. It was, it was a great time. Yeah, it was cute. But we're glad to have you home. And last night, we actually had a date night. We did. We went to see Nate Bargatze. He's a comedian. If you've seen him possibly on Netflix, he has several specials. Um, he's our age exactly and so we could really relate to his stories so oh my gosh we laughed so hard that I wished I had brought some Advil because my temples and my face just hurt yeah he's uh, he's cool because he's a clean comedian which I listen to both you know clean and, and crass and whatever like I actually my favorite's Tom Zagura and he's super crass but I mean it, it takes an extra little bit of effort to be clean and hilarious so yes it's because uh, you know the, the whole I was talking to you like the element of a joke is the element of surprise so it's easy to be crass and not easy, but easier to be crass right. and surprise people where it's like the the ending of a story. It's like, oh, I didn't expect that and being clean. It's it's uh, so he's he's really cool. Like, for instance, like he's going through like his parents aging. He's going through like his him and his wife's relationship. He talks about how dumb he is. He's like, um, you know, me and my neighbors were sitting outside talking. They're like, what's your uh, what's your property tax? And I'm like, a uh, hundred thousand. And they're like, what? And he's like, uh, I don't know. Like, what should I what do you want me to say so we can stop talking about this? <laughs> it's just like he's like, I don't. You know, I wish I knew what kind of bank I had. I, my wife doesn't tell me even the name of our bank, so I could, if I could start there, knowing the name of my bank, that might help out. Like it's just he, he's really funny. He's just so real, and I appreciate you know his honesty. He doesn't try to put on airs. He's just a real person. Yeah, and I just loved him, and we just had such a fun time. And he's a little dark too, which is not easy to do without getting too like dirty, like the. Um, the first story at the carnival, like next to his oh, dad. Oh, with the animals. Yeah. Yeah. So then, but it's all something, it's all things that have happened to him. I saw you looking at me like questioning, like, what do you mean? I'm like, oh yeah, there's dark. Yeah. And then there's other stories of similar things. It's like, yeah, he's a little dark. But I do appreciate his cleanliness. I do not like crass comedians. I hate it. Like when you put on Tom Segura, I'm like not even laughing. I'm like, I don't like this story. I don't appreciate it. I love a clean comedian, so I adore Nate Bargatze. Even though you're known to curse like a sailor. Yeah, I do. I mean, if you fire me up, every other word out of my mouth is F this, F that, F the other. Yeah. And I, I always say, I don't say that in front of my kids. I'm, I'm pretty good about that. But I, as much as I might curse occasionally, I'm not somebody that just walks around cursing. Um, I don't like comedians who swear a lot. Especially if we have a movie on at home and there's like swearing in it. Everybody knows, oh, mommy's not going to like this. No, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't want to show trash to my 12 and 15 year olds. They're just words. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. Words mean things. They do. 
They do. So on that note, if you're ready to jump into this, I am. I'm ready. Let's do it. So this is a listener suggestion from Meg. So thank you so much, Meg. I will tell you um, a little trigger warning with this case. It is a lot of brutality against another human being. It's it's a rough one to listen to. This is the murder of Anita Kabi. So 26-year-old Anita Kabi was someone who lived her life with the intention of helping others. She worked as a nurse at Sydney Hospital in Australia. Anita was born Anita Lorraine Lynch on November 2nd, 1952 to parents Gary and Grace. She was the apple of her parents' eyes. She was extremely close with her family. She was just a lovely human being. As she grew up, she told anyone who would listen that she wanted to be a nurse just like her mom was. And it was just something that she never wavered from. She had it as a goal and it stayed as a goal. And it just so happened that she was drop-dead gorgeous, so she was the winner of Miss Western Southern Beauty Pageant in 1979. She did have the opportunity to have a promising modeling career, but she did not want to be deterred from her goal of becoming a nurse, so she kept her eyes on that prize and pursued forward. It's awesome to have that kind of goal so early, just Mm -hmm. like, no, I want to be a nurse just like my mom. That's super cool. And for it to never change. Yeah. So after graduating from secondary school, Anita enrolled in a nursing program through Sydney Hospital, and in 1981, she met and fell in love with another student named John Cobby. John remembers thinking that there wasn't a chance in heck that Anita was going to go for him. She felt like, or he felt like she was so far out of her his league that it just wasn't a possibility. So they, you know, despite his beliefs, they did go on a first date. They went to a Lebanese restaurant. They found that they shared a lot of similar interests. They clicked, they hit it off. So about one year later, on March 27th, 1982, the couple got married in a small ceremony with family and friends. A few years after their wedding, John won $10,000 during a horse race. So they deci- they decided to take advantage of this, you know, influx of unexpected cash and they took their dream vacation to the United States. 3 years into their marriage, they found that they were no longer sadly on the same page. They had started to grow apart and they made the difficult decision at that point that they were going to separate. Mm. And as they did, and they spent time apart, they realized that they were both missing each other terribly, and that they were good together. They were better together than apart. And sometimes that happens with people where they'll divorce and remarry. Sure. At this point in time, they did not divorce. They just separated. So by winter of 1986, they began to repair the relationship. They were moving in the direction of reconciliation. They weren't jumping into anything too quickly. They wanted to proceed with caution, do things right. They were taking their time, but they were looking forward to their future together at this point. So it was Sunday, February 2nd, 1986, and Anita worked her normal shift at Sydney Hospital. She got off at 3 p.m., and she and a group of coworkers went to get some food together at a local restaurant in Redfern. At the time, Anita was living with her parents. She wasn't yet at the point in her relationship with John that they were ready to just jump back into full-fledged living together. So they were taking their time, and in the meantime, she was staying with her parents, Gary and Grace Lynch. And um, she got a ride to the Central Railway Railway Station. She boarded the 9.12 p.m. train toward Blacktown, which is a Sydney suburb where her parents were living. Anita got off the train at about 10 p.m. She planned on using one of the payphones at Blacktown Station to call her dad for a ride home. This was her typical routine. She would call him. He would swing by and just pick her up. 
But would, what would end up being a tragic piece of this case is that the phones at the station just so happened to be vandalized. Uh. So at that day, they were not in working order. And then normally, on second option, there would be taxis available. But at this point in time, they were all in use. So it's just fate coming together so that it was to the point that Anita was going to make the trek home. Like walk? Yeah, she was going to walk home. And it wasn't a long distance. It was a relatively short walk. I think it was more that they would fall into this routine just for safety purposes. Sure. You know, when you're getting off the train at 10 o'clock at night, it's just better to be picked up. So Anita didn't feel scared or anything to be walking. She just set off on foot towards her parents' house. So as she walked down a quiet residential street, she had no idea that a car full of career criminals were taking a joyride in a car that they had just stolen. Five men who were well-known to local authorities as being mean-spirited deviants just so happened to be in the area in Black near Blacktown Station where Anita just happened to be walking. It would suck to live in a town where there's five mean-spirited deviants, quote-unquote, yeah, just just, that are known about. And it's like, just a matter of time till these pieces of crap are, you know, do something. Do something serious. So the ringleader of the group was 19-year-old John Travers. He was a sexual predator who took pleasure in abusing anyone or anything that was weaker than himself. This included animals. I mean, just a monster of a human being, and you will find that his soul is black as can be. So after the group drove around for a while, they realized that the gas tank was hovering near empty. And being a group of winners, not one of them had any money between them, and they made the decision to find someone to rob. Because when you're this type of person, you don't go out and make your money, you just take it from other people. And it just sounds like this is kind of part of their normal weeks. No, totally. Like, if you see these guys coming, it's like, there's a chance I'm going to get robbed. Mm Mm-hmm. So just as this thought occurred, Anita just so happened around the corner as they were passing. They saw this gorgeous brunette and their intentions turned much more sinister. So rather than just targeting somebody for gas money, their thoughts went somewhere very disturbing. So they pulled the car next to Anita and two of the men jumped out and grabbed her. She was shocked by the sudden attack. She didn't have a moment to understand what was happening to her because for one second, she's walking down the street, minding her own business, just coming home, and suddenly she feels hands on her body and they're pulling her away. So at this point in time, she began to scream and struggle and trying to, she was trying to break free. So just so happened at this time, a nearby brother and sister heard Anita's screams. So they ran out of their house to investigate what was going on, and they saw a group of men forcing a terrified woman into a stolen car. Of course, the kids at this point didn't know the car was stolen, but they saw these men shoving a woman who was clearly going without, you know, her consent into a white H.T. Holden Kingswood car. The boy yelled out for these men to stop and let her go, and he was obviously a very brave kid because he began to run in the direction of the group to stop them. Braver than I would be. That's crazy. Right. Because it would be a group of guys against one child. Right. So before he could reach them, Anita was forced into the car, and the men sped off into the night. The boy began to chase the car, but he gave up as the taillights faded into the distance. The siblings rushed into the house and told their mom what they had seen. She immediately called the police. 
as everything was happening, their neighbor and his girlfriend just so happened to pull up on their driveway. They let the guy that was driving the car know what they had just seen. So, of course, he was shocked to hear what had happened. So he took off in his car in hopes of stopping the the group. So shortly after leaving, he saw a car that matched the description that he had been given of the car. He saw that it was parked on the side of the road in the rural area of Prospect, which was about six minutes from Blacktown. He jumped out of his car with a flashlight. He was hoping to save the woman that he was told was just viciously forced into a car. So he took his flashlight and he shone it into the car. He saw right away that the car was empty. Everything was quiet in the area where he was standing, so he made the assumption that he just had the wrong car, and he, because he saw no signs of anyone nearby, he made the decision to get in his car and go home. It did turn out, though, that he had found the correct car, mm. and only feet away, the men were cha- he was chasing were lying in thigh-high weeds. They were quiet and motionless. They had Anita pinned to the ground. Their hands were covering her mouth in order to quiet her screams. So he was literally standing there with his flashlight only feet away from where they had Anita pinned down. And he's probably in danger, too. I mean, one guy on four or five. 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 Oh, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would have sucked if they would have jumped out and he'd be another victim. But, man, he had an opportunity. It's like you kick yourself. Of course. You're like, I was right there. But he tried. So after the man pulled away, Travers and his friends took Anita to a nearby field. They forced her to take her clothes off in the car. She begged the men to just let her go. She told them that she was a married woman. She also said that she was menstruating. She was doing anything in her power to just get them to just let her go. Yeah. Because, you know... Obviously, she knows she's at risk for for dying. Yeah, I gotta say anything to try to save yourself. While in the car, her attackers took turns beating Anita. They struck her with such force that they broke her nose and both of her cheekbones. How do you get off on beating somebody that's like defenseless? And it's I guess it's that whole complex that you were talking about. Just anything weaker than mm-hmm. these people, just like. And of course, this is one woman against five men. They don't know her. They have never met her in their lives. And my thing that comes to mind is how do five like-minded, vicious, evil people find each other? How how does that happen? I don't know. It's like those stories that we talk about, just, you know, folia do or whenever, you know, it's just like that hive mind happens and it spreads and it's like, yeah, this is normal because we're all thinking the same thing. Yeah, this brutality and horribleness is just normal. And this is a rough one, but they all forced her to perform oral sex on them. And then they drove to a gas station because, of course, their gas tank was hovering on empty. They took Anita's money and they used it to fuel back up their tank. So from here, they drove off to Reen Road, which was a secluded field where they continued to assault Anita for nearly two hours. Poor baby. When they were finished, they dragged her badly beaten body from the car to an area next to a barbed wire fence where they continued to attack her. Anita lay face down in the grass. She was still conscious as her assailants are now standing over her discussing their next plans. So Travers is making the point that Anita has, you know, she's seen all their faces. She can identify him or identify them. So this monster makes the declaration that Anita needs to die. So with that, he quickly grabs Anita by her hair. The others are standing around him, cheering him on. He jerked her head back and slit her throat. 
The act was so vicious that he had nearly decapitated her. Makes you want to like puke. I know. And this poor woman, all she wanted was to do well in life and help sick people. She was working as a nurse that day. She had simply gone off and had dinner, a simple, normal day that ended in a brutal, brutal death. Horrible. And it just, it really hurts my soul. So from there, the group got into the stolen car and they fled from the scene, leaving Anita's body in plain view, having made no effort to conceal her. They drove to the house where Travers was staying and removed Anita's belongings, including her purse and clothing from the car. They burned these items in an incinerator in the backyard. They hadn't known that as they were doing this, the neighbor was literally standing in the window watching them as they did this. The woman later told investigators that the items they destroyed gave off a sickening odor. In the meantime, back home in Blacktown, Anita's parents were starting to worry because they would normally get the phone call that Anita needed to be picked up from the train station. But of course, you have to realize, you know, she's 26 years old. She's a married woman. Granted, she's separated, but they realize she's an adult and she might be spending the night at somebody's house. And they don't expect the phones not to be working and there not to be any cabs. Yeah, so they just assume she was staying at someone's house. However, the next day, it was Monday, February 3rd, Anita's family was notified that their daughter had not come in for her scheduled shift at Sydney Hospital. And of course, being a dedicated nurse who loved her job and was fueling her passion, she would never have missed her shift. So right away, they knew that something was terribly wrong. So they immediately went to the police station to file a missing persons report. 24 hours later, a farmer noticed that his cattle were gathering in a certain area of his land. So he went off to that spot to investigate. And this is when he came upon the badly beaten body of a woman. Her hands were still clutching the grass. Officers were quickly dispatched to the scene, and Anita's distinctive wedding band allowed her to be quickly identified. After Anita's body was found, the New South Wales government posted a $50,000 reward for any information that would lead to an arrest. In the goal of sparking someone's potential memory from that night, a female police officer dressed as Anita traveled on the same train that Anita took. This was the 9.12 p.m. train. So they, she was taking this train to Blacktown Station just as Anita did. And then there, in the meantime, the colleagues were interviewing passengers on the train to see if they remembered, you know, seeing anything that would help identify who had done this to Anita. So when the homicide division was called in, the investigation started with police speaking with Anita's estranged husband, John. Because John was grilled relentlessly, he actually made a full confession. Are you kidding? That's, no. That's like, that's got to tell you just how bad of a scenario that is, or whatever those police are using, that uh, somebody who's clearly not guilty is admitting to murdering their own wife. Right, and he had absolutely nothing to do with this. And I always think in my head, like, I would never, ever confess to a crime I didn't do. But they say that the amount of mental taxing it takes with, you know, sometimes these guys are in the station for 12, 24 hours. They're sleep deprived. They're just being peppered with questions and being told that they did this and sometimes fed evidence that's not true. Like they might be told, we have a witness that saw you there. We have a footprint that matches your shoe, et cetera, et cetera, whatever the situation might be, to the point that they actually confess. So what you think you would never do, 
you actually might. Yeah, I mean, I would never say it's impossible for me because you don't you don't know what you're capable of. Like with no sleep or whatever, they keep you up for hours and like not give you water and like mm-hmm. you're hallucinating a little bit. And then you hear this person saw you and you're like, okay, well, it sounds like I'm going to jail no matter what. And it's like, okay, well, good thing, good news. If you just confess, then you'll go to jail less. And you're mm-hmm. like, I may as well just take it because I can trust a police officer. Yeah. And you know, being a, a, a sane person, you're like, okay, I guess I'll just take it. Yeah, I did. Uh, you know and then you're done it's like i don't like you're in such a low place anyways because your wife is gone you're devastated yeah it's, it's like taking advantage of that person it sucks i get the police want to find somebody and it's almost always the significant other but not in this scenario so it was days later when police or police found physical evidence that indicated that it wasn't just one person that had done this to Anita. It was clear that there were multiple perpetrators and none of them were John. It was clear that he was not involved in this case and he was quickly cleared despite his confession. Thank goodness he got cleared. Exactly. So the investigation became sensationalized and very, very public and, you know, the public became very aware at this point when a morning radio host got access to Anita's autopsy report and read it on live air. The coroner had indicated that Anita's hands and arms were covered in defensive wounds. One of her ears had actually been severed. Both her nose and cheekbones had been broken, and she had been sexually assaulted multiple times by more than one offender. Listeners were absolutely horrified to hear the extent of brutality that Anita had gone through, and they became determined to help find the killers themselves. People were outraged by the fact that other human beings did this to an innocent woman in their own home community yes and they're not caught at this point yeah so whoever did this to anita was still out there yeah let's come out and find these people and put them behind the bars it's good job by that radio host so even police who were involved in this case were very deeply affected by what happened to anita the radio show host, who was John Luz, was interviewed in 2016. He said he did what he did because he felt that the public should know the full details of what had happened. With the case now public information, leads began pouring in from people who were eager to catch these monsters. Several callers mentioned a group of men who were car thieves that loved to just wreak havoc on anyone they came across. And police started to hear one name in particular coming up over and over, and this was the name John Travers. Police had also gotten information about the stolen car that brought up the name of four others in addition to John, making it five people involved. So a little less than three weeks after Anita was murdered, on February 21st, Travers and his buddies, this is 18-year-old Michael Murdoch and 22-year-old Les Murphy, they were brought in for questioning, not in relation to Anita's case, but about a car theft. Travers was taken into custody pending further charges. The other two were released the same day. So shortly after his arrest, Travers called his aunt and asked her to bring him some cigs. He wanted his ciggies. Ciggies, yeah. So little did he know that these cigarettes would give the police the evidence that they needed to solve Anita's murder. Mm. So after his aunt brought in the cigarettes, she stayed and spoke to her nephew for some time. By the time she was gearing up to leave, she was convinced that Travers had been part of the abduction, rape, and murder of Anita Kabi. Because she wanted to do the right thing, despite the fact that this is a member of her family, this is her nephew, 
she went to detectives who were working the case and told him or told them, I should say, that Travers had confessed to Anita's murder. Good for her. And he had named his accomplices. Man, anybody who's like keeping something from police because it's a family member, you're like, you're a piece of garbage. So this good job on this hand. Absolutely. And the fact of how he was saying it to her and the brutality of the things that were coming out of his mouth, she knew like something needed to be done here because if he were to be let free, he would only do it again. She just knew that this was a sick and dangerous person, despite the fact that he was family. So the police felt that this woman was legit and that she was telling the truth. However, they wanted to hear the words from Travers' mouth. They wanted to hear his versions of events. So they asked if she would be willing to go back in and have him repeat his story, but this time she would be wired and it would be caught on tape. Huh. And I, I'm surprised you don't hear about that more often. Like, I, for some reason, it pops in my head as it being illegal to do that, even though it's in a prison and they're probably being recorded all the time. But maybe they're not. Like, otherwise, these don't they say that you're being recorded when you're having that conversation? That's like why you're on a telephone. Well, in interrogation rooms, yes. I don't know where they actually had their conversation. Yeah, I don't know. Like in America and Australia, different places. And this know. was 1986. I don't know how things were done then versus now. I do hear a lot of times people do agree to. To be wired and even if the person is not yet captured they might be doing this in a car out in public and it's scary because now this person is being put in danger yeah granted the aunt has the you know the fact that her nephew is behind bars he can't physically hurt her right so she regardless she agreed she wanted to do the right thing so the woman went to detectives who were or i'm sorry so she agreed so she was so sickened by the brutal nature of anita's murder that she said absolutely yes i will do this So on her next visit, with little effort, she's wired. Her nephew repeats the exact same story. He gave the blow-by-blow account of what had happened the night of February 2nd when Anita was brutally murdered. So now it's all caught on tape. Well, he's getting off on it. He's like so proud of himself, oh. just bloviating how awesome he is. And like, where would you think that's okay to tell anybody about that if you're trying not to get caught? Yes. Like, she, that's insane. Exactly. I mean, that's what you're saying. Like, he was so proud of what he had done. Like, I mean, forget the fact that he already doesn't think it's wrong to you know, horribly sexually assault and beat this woman. But, I mean, just telling people about it, like, openly, like, you're an idiot. Thank goodness for idiots. Yes. So, in addition to talking to her nephew who was behind bars she also went and spoke with michael murdoch she went to his home and captured his version of events while wearing the recording device so now it's like confirming all the information because they're telling the same story she's hopping to toadstools being like okay now we're gonna get your story and your story and your story and you're all going to jail So when detectives listened to the recording that was obtained from her, they were absolutely sickened by the way that Travers actually stopped to chuckle as he discussed each brutal and gory detail of what they had done to Anita. He was proud. He was laughing. Sicko. So he named Michael Murdoch and Les Murphy, who had been previously released and added two names now, because obviously the police were suspecting the other two, but they just didn't have enough information. Now they're getting two more names. These are Les Murphy's, are yeah, um, Les, Les's brothers, 28-year-old Gary Murphy 
and 33-year-old Michael Murphy. So we have three members of the same family, three brothers. Sounds like a bunch of winners. That are just sick and twisted individuals. And, you know, they're 28 and 33, and they're hanging out with 19-year-olds. It's like, what the hell are you doing? Losers. So as this conversation wrapped up, he made sure to tell his visitor that if she were to tell anyone, she would also end up just like Anita. Ooh, so scary from behind the jail cell. Yeah, well, we'll just wait. I'm about to go ruin your life, jerk. So the five men came from deprived backgrounds. They were of below average intelligence. They were generally hated by the community because they literally just went around making the lives of anyone they came across miserable. Anyone who saw them and knew them knew that their interaction was going to be terrible. Like you see them, you like want to walk the other way. It's like you have your kids and you're like, all right, now we're going into the store and, you know, trying to stay away. Absolutely. So they were known for violence and Travers was also known to always carry a knife with him. Between the five, they had over 50 prior convictions for offenses that ranged from armed robbery, assault, larceny, car theft, drug use, and rape. These were very bad men. And they just so happened to find each other. So 19-year-old John Travers was the oldest of eight children. He was born from unmarried teenage parents. He was raised in poverty. He was addicted to alcohol and marijuana by age 14. And because of the extent of their financial struggles, excuse me, Travers turned to a life of crime to provide money to cover for his family's expenses. And ideally, you would co- you know, go to a life of working for a living and making money like a regular person would. But I guess crime's the other option. It's, it's much easier to just take the money from people who are working and sure. earning it the right way. So when his mom's health began to suffer and she was placed in hospice care, he and his siblings were sent to live with a foster family. He did not discriminate with his evilness and his violent sexual tendencies. He would attack anyone from men, women, and even animals. Awesome. His buddy, 18-year-old Michael Murdoch, was a childhood friend of Travers. He spent the bulk of his childhood in juvenile prisons where he himself experienced sexual assaults. The Murphy brothers, these three winners, they were three of nine siblings, and the family was very well known to police. In 1978, Michael was in prison when he tried to escape. Michael and Gary were unemployed, less worked in maintenance. I mean, these are grown men who aren't working. They're just... Unless you're disabled, like, unemployed should not be what you fill out on an application. Like, okay, you're in jail, and what is your occupation? Unemployed. I just don't work in general. I go around. I mean, I guess his job is, you can't really say being a deviant and stealing from people. So, I guess unemployed, you know, criminal, same thing. Yeah, I'm just always amazed when I hear a a grown person, you know, you're 28 years old, you're 30-something years old. No, I'm unemployed. Um, I'm sorry. How does that work? I get, Can you feed me some of the secrets? Because I've been working my whole life. I get like being between jobs. You know, that's, that's one thing. But usually you have some kind of a profession, whether you're a mechanic. It's like, yeah, maybe I just don't have a job right now, but I'm a mechanic. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, or whatever it might be. But it's like unemployed. I just am choosing not to work. Right. It makes me think of Christmas vacation where he's like, um, yeah, Eddie hasn't had a job in seven years. He's holding out for a position in management. <laughs> yeah. It's like, go get a job, any job. Right. No, they're just going to steal from other people that's all so gary was a convicted car thief the older two brothers gary and michael had met travers when they were hanging around hotels drinking and smoking pot again these are you know 28 33 year old men hanging out with 18 and 19 year olds real winners so michael murdoch served as travers sidekick and he just idolized his friend 
Travers was an alcoholic, like I said, from age 14. He had been in and out of court, sent to juvenile detention facilities. He had been expelled from school in year 10. He was known to boast about, and this is disturbing, very disturbing, having sex with animals and then slitting their throats. Who boasts about that? Who does that? Man, if you're having sex with animals, I mean, I would imagine that's one thing you would keep to yourself and not boast about. This guy was obviously out of his mind. And surrounded by sick people that would think that that was a cool thing to do. Yeah, like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, it's wrong and disgusting. So he also sported a distinctive teardrop tattoo under his left eye. Cool guy. As the Murphy brothers learned that police were on to them, thanks to Travers, you know, spilling all the information, Gary and Michael attempted to flee the area. However, a man eventually called police. He said that they had seen two men that fit these descriptions. He was They were hiding out in a flat in Glenfield in a southwest suburb of Sydney. So when Gary Murphy was arrested, he took off from the home where he was hiding. He fled out the back door. He was tackled by officers. And when he was being led away, officers noted that he had peed in his pants. Oh, poor little baby made a pee-pee. The baby peed on himself. Oh, so. this hard hardened criminals making pee-pee in his pants. And thankfully, the reporter snapped a photo of this. And awesome. you can clearly see he wet his pants. So we'll post that one to Instagram. Awesome. So such a coward literally peed on himself because he was so scared. Yet he destroyed an innocent human being. This is Gary Murphy? Uh, yes. Gary Murphy pisses mm-hmm. his pants. What a loser. So all of the men were taken into custody and was now within 22 days of Anita's murder. As police expected, each of the suspects quickly turned on each other, pointing fingers at the other. However, the one constant that they all maintained was that it was Travers who had been the ultimate person to kill Anita. Despite this, though, they were all equally responsible for her death. After being confronted with his taped confession, Travers and his accomplices all pleaded guilty. They provided signed confessions. The defense claimed that the confessions were obtained improperly and by force. During the trial that began on March 16, 1987 in Sydney, Travers and his buddies made no effort to hide their contempt in the room full of spectators. During opening statements, Alan Saunders of the Queen's Council described what happened to Anita as sustained degradation, brutal, unbridled lust culminating in one of the most savage, brutal murders the state has ever known. The media called in the tri- called it the trial of the century. As the judge read their charges, the five men spoke among themselves and laughed. They had zero remorse the entire time. Sick. Travers has called various prisons home over the years. On one of his transfers, which was in 1996, he and another inmate attempted to escape from the prison van. They used a hacksaw and kicked through the back door. They did not get very far. They were promptly stopped and charged. He's often been involved in bloody fights during his time in prison. In 2019, 66-year-old Michael Murphy died from liver cancer. That same year, his brother Gary was beaten by fellow inmates, and he was sent to the hospital in critical condition. Their fellow inmates know why they're there, and they have not taken kindly to their presence. So they have not had an easy time in jail, which doesn't make me unhappy. No, that's fantastic. I would say, I mean, if you're a prisoner and you're like really sorry for what you've done, the least you could do is beat the living hell out of people that are coming in and do some horrible things. Yeah. So Anita's parents, they joined forces with Christine and Peter Simpson. 
They were parents of murder victim Ebony Simpson, and in 1993, they worked together to create the Homicide Victim Support Group. Nine-year-old Ebony had been abducted, raped, and murdered in 1992, so they formed this organization to help support families that have lost a loved one to homicide. The Lynches also fought to seek harsher sentencing laws for violent crimes after Anita's murder. On June 10, 1987, the jury found Anita's five killers guilty of sexual assault and murder. They were all sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Awesome. None of the five, like I said, ever once showed a single ounce of remorse. I mean, this is five men who are just pure evil. There's like, nothing more than evil inside of them. Usually in this scenario, like I would expect this Travers guy not to show remorse, maybe because he just seems like off the, the edge. But like all five of them, like not one was just like, I'm sorry, I got wrapped up in this whole thing and nope. I was even a part of this. They're just like, oh, like, nope, we're good. <laughs> and like I said before, it's just amazing to me that five people could all live in the same area and find each other. Like-minded evil people like this. How do they find each other? Worst case scenario. I don't know. So on June 10th, 1987, oh, like I said, they they did. Um, so they were found guilty. So for decades, John Cobby, who was Anita's estranged husband, and granted they were working together, they were going to reconcile, but he blamed himself for Anita's death. He felt like had they not separated, he would have been there to protect his wife. And it was really terrible for him it's almost impossible not to do that to yourself even though like everybody you know realizes it's not your fault you know but at the same time you're like what what if i would have gotten together with it you know what if i would have done this everybody literally probably your coworkers too like what if we would have stayed for an extra drink or you know it's like you could look back it's kind of like i don't know it's it's way worse but it's when you look at a a sports game and you're like oh if i hadn't dropped that ball or whatever it's like no it's the entire game so it's like it's the entire life her entire day like anything could have happened to that moment you just wish like really the ultimate thing is you wish you could still have her there of course so um john did end up getting remarried it did end in divorce anita's father gary died in 2008 at age 90 from alzheimer's disease his wife grace passed away on july 1st 2013 at age 88 from lung cancer at the time of gary's death the couple had been married for 54 years they were just a lovely family Anita was in the prime of her life when she just simply worked a shift, had an innocent dinner with her friends, and just went home. That's all she was going to do. She was just going to go home, have an ordinary evening, get up the next day, and go back to work. But these five monsters just so happened to be on the prowl in the area where she happened to be walking, and they removed this beautiful person from this world. And that is the tragic murder of Anita Cobby. That's horrible. Well, thank you for telling Anita's story. And, you know, if anybody can hear this and just be like, you know, keep in mind about walking late at night and things like, you know, nothing Anita could have done differently. You know, how are you supposed to know that these scumbags are going to be reeling around the corner in a stolen car and looking to rape and pillage and just be disgusting human beings nobody's expecting that no of course not so that's that's sad but she needs to be remembered and she she would have been a great person was a great person she was yeah sounds like so thank you for telling our story. We appreciate it. And if you appreciate what we do, um, you know the hours of work that Allison puts into this, then consider becoming a patron. We are a little mom and pop podcast. I am pop. She is mom, just in case you get confused. And we're not like these uh, big corporate behemoths that are like all over the place. You see their advertisements all over. We're trying to do this, you know, brick by brick. Brick by brick. Yeah. So I want to say welcome to the latest members of the Crime and Coffee Couple Club to Joe Carr and Haley. 
So thank you so much for joining and uh, or upgrading your membership or whatever. Any way of, uh, uh, of uh, supporting us, we really appreciate it. And um, yeah, that's about all I got. Yeah, so we appreciate each and every one of you guys for being here. We just want you to know we never take that for granted that you're listening. You're giving positive feedback. We so appreciate all your comments and messages and your patronage. And, and telling it- your friends and family and uh, coworkers and hairstylists. The hairstylists are huge because they listen all day long. Yeah, absolutely. So just sharing the word and coming back to listen for more. And until next time, bye. bye.